Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am so excited that I can bring you people who are focused on their own growth and development and also really committed to helping others achieve their full potential. And that's really what our company is all about. And you can learn about us at growstrongleaders.com where we have software tools and books to help people learn how to connect with each other more effectively at work. Today, I am so excited to bring to you a very special guest who to me embodies both of those elements of my podcast, personal growth, as well as helping others to grow. Welcome, Laura Coons. Thank you so much, Meredith. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're we're just going to have such a great conversation. Let me introduce you to my audience so they will appreciate who you are (laughs) and all that you bring to this conversation today. Laura is the Senior Director of Learning at Front Door, and that's a company on a mission to make home ownership simple. She began her career teaching at the college level and then transitioned to the corporate world. And throughout her career, there's been the thread of servant leadership. She's truly passionate about her role as a leader, and she's committed to the development of future leaders. Laura, the first question is, it's so it's such an interesting story. Tell us about your journey from being in the academic world and moving to the corporate world, what caused that change and what was it like? Well, that is a fun first question. And Meredith, I just have to say, I, that intro made me feel so special. Thank you for that uh, wonderful kickoff to the conversation. Uh, yeah, so when I made that transition, uh, I want to start by saying, as a young person, I always believed I would work in education, partly because as a little girl, teachers were absolutely the most important part of my life. I loved school. I loved that experience. And so when I was growing up, I thought, you know, I want to do that same thing in the world that they were doing for me, being there to help uh, that growth and expansion that you experience as a young child. That just felt like a really exciting career possibility for me. And so I threw absolutely every resource I had from myself into that vision for my life. And I got into it and I taught English because English is my absolute favorite subject. And I did it for a handful of years before I realized, oh gosh, this is not how I imagined it was going to be. Teaching is very different than being a student. And it requires a type of deep patience that I learned through the process of teaching that I do not possess. Uh, And so a couple years into the experience, I started thinking, what are the parts of this that I love? What is the way that I could continue doing the service to others and the development of others, but maybe not in the academic context? And so that launched me on this journey where I partnered with a professional coach and through that experience figured out the elements that I was most interested in and most passionate about were really related to 
helping people identify how they wanted to grow, building and delivering content and facilitating experiences. And through that, that journey, uh, I took a leap and left higher education and landed at a company called White Wave Foods, where I led learning and development for a, a small site here in Colorado State in Broomfield. And so that is the arc I took from thinking this is going to be my career for my entire life to realizing uh, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. What are the parts that I can take from it? And then moving into the corporate setting where learning and development has really just been exactly the right fit for me for those pieces that I love. I love the enthusiasm in your voice <laughs> about that. And it is so funny that you and I had such similar backgrounds because yes. I always dreamed of being a teacher also. Yes. But in yeah. my world, I became an elementary school teacher mm. and got kind of bored with the routine. I didn't think it would be so repetitive. Yes. And yeah. then left and became an administrator and realized, oh, I don't do politics or bureaucracy very <laughs> well either. So for different reasons, but yes. kinds of drives, I also left and just started my own business. And so yeah. that's been a, a different path than what you've had. But we both landed in places mm -hmm. where it felt more comfortable to use those skills that we had acquired. Absolutely. So one thing I'm curious about, because those two environments are so different, how mm. did you find that you had to be, you know, mm. how did you have to show up differently when you entered into the corporate environment after yeah. leaving higher education? Yeah, that is a great question. And it's one where I would like to hear your response as well. What, what was that journey like for you? For me, and I'll just share candidly, when I made that, that transition, I had spent so much time and energy building that vision of my life working in academia that I, when I came into the corporate context, I was surprised at how scared I felt on such a regular basis. I felt worried that I didn't belong. I had a lot of imposter syndrome issues thinking, why would these people in a corporate setting listen to me at all when I'm coming from this background of teaching English and working in higher ed? And so one of the shifts I had to make was letting my, first of all, giving myself permission to have that, that type of experience because that's scary and uncomfortable, but also shifting into a space of inquiry and really getting myself comfortable with the idea that it isn't about having all the answers so much as it is about exploring the need together. Mm -hmm. And that really helped offset. I often use that imposter versus inquirer spectrum in my brain. When I start to have those feelings of, I don't know why people would listen to this. I don't know that I know the right answer. If there's a way to shift a little bit more into the territory of what are the questions I could ask and how do we co-create the thing together that for me was foundationally very effective. And I, I think it honors what other people need in the experience as well, in a way that takes some of the pressure or the edge off the feeling of how do I create myself as a subject matter expert? Could I ask you that same question back when you- Well, when you first I wanna comment on what you just said, because I love that. And I think that is such great wisdom for every listener because we're all going to put in, be put in situations that are new and different for us. Yes. And absolutely. so we can all experience that 
imposter syndrome or fear about, am I going to be able to succeed in this yes. situation? And I, I, I think it just is exactly what you said. It relieves that stress that we might put on ourselves of, am I going to succeed? Am I going to look bad? And yeah. changes it to, what can I learn here? You yes. Know, it's, yes. It makes it more of a fun journey. And, mm-hmm. and I can say that now because years ago, <laughs> you know, I, I took a much more serious approach to yeah. things. And so for me, when I left, what I had to, um, I guess, draw on was the confidence that I felt that I could mm. succeed because I had never even taken a business course. And here yes. I was, you know, hanging out my shingle to be a, a consultant and trainer to companies around the one thing I really mm. loved, which was yeah. this whole thing of communicating and people getting mm-hmm. along. So that uh, that was a stretch for me. And just, mm-hmm. you know, taking the steps to get my first client. And then mm-hmm. moving from there and building that confidence. But I think having that core confidence mm-hmm. was an important element for me to keep yeah. going in the face of hearing no or mm-hmm. you know, not being sure what to do. There was no internet back when I <laughs> started. So yeah. I had books and tapes to listen to. Oh, I to love learn it. Learn what needed to be done. And, you know, thinking about this confidence thing, I know when you and I had spoken before, you were talking about a key aspect of a leader's role is to build mm. confidence in yes. us. And I so believe that. I just, yes. what a gift to leaders that really get that and yeah. know how to do it well. So yes. what are your thoughts on, you know, well, first of all, what experiences did you have that caused you to conclude this was really a key principle and how do you help emerging leaders mm-hmm. to do this well with the people on their teams yeah i i love what you're describing in your experience of being resilient and gritty in the face of hearing the answer no over and over and and for me part of the experience that led me to have this perspective that a core behavior, a a critical need from leaders is to build confidence in the people they they lead is my own experiences with leaders. Uh, And so moving from higher ed into the corporate setting, I I often say I landed on Planet Awesome. I had an amazing boss, an amazing team for me to be in that space. I had a leader who was careful and conscientious about creating safe areas for me to test things and to fail in a way that was learning experience. And I think when I reflect on how that helped me build my own confidence and, you know, sort of get your legs under you to say, I know the right questions to ask. I know my instincts are pointed in the right direction. That comes in large part from the experiences we have with leaders. And it's, it's for me, I think that critical role leaders play, it's about being really clear about what are we trying to accomplish and then giving people the space to really explore Mm. whatever that's possible. And I know I've not ever had an experience where we weren't moving incredibly fast and trying to get 
massive amounts of work done on really tight timelines, but the best leaders I observe are able to still, even in those conditions, create the the experience for their folks that they really get to try things out in a way where they don't get penalized for every part that they need to learn from, if that makes sense. Mm, Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. So as you think about some of the leaders you've you know, worked with, who've mentored you, but also mm-hmm. leaders you've been involved with, you know, running training programs for, yeah. and then seeing them in, in action. What are some of the things that you see them either say, do, mm-hmm. or ask that, yeah. that, you know, solidifies what you've just said here about giving them space to explore and try things without fear of penalties. Yeah. I think the first thing is that crystal clarity about what the goals are. So making sure that it is all very transparent between both the leader and the individual or the leader and the team, exactly what are we trying to accomplish? Mm. And Leaders who do this really well are good question askers to understand what skills does the individual or the team, what do they bring to the table? What do they know how to do already? Where are they comfortable and confident? And what are the places maybe where they need more support or guidance? And then what's the way that we stoke their passion? How do we get them excited? How do we connect to what matters mm-hmm. to to the broader organization. And so if I were summarizing it, it's that really being clear upfront about what are the goals and then aligning and, and testing and understanding on the part of the leader, what skills are here? What skills do we need to build and how do we do that together? And then what are the ways to tap into making it exciting and making it feel engaging? I think those techniques are always effective. They also take practice. And so I would say to leaders who are listening, thinking, how do you pull those things off where you're also trying to work really fast uh, and, and really rapidly? You don't have to do it all by yourself. The other dimension to me is, it's a partnership between the leader and the individual or the team. And that, that to what we were saying a moment ago, taking the pressure off, I think some of the best leaders are, are operators at heart. They think about the way to do the work with and through their people, but in a, a format that's more together. Mm-hmm. Those are such important points. And thinking about what you're saying, this whole idea of, you know, giving people the space and giving and taking time to get to know them. Because too often when we do get in this frantic, hectic Mm -hmm. speed, we we might say, well, I don't have time to get to know them. I don't have time to have one-on-one conversations. And yet, if they will slow down and take the time to spend with each individual to truly get a sense of what are this person's strengths, where might they need help, mm-hmm. then they can be much more effective. Yes. And yeah. laying out the plan and tapping into the right people. It just, it, it's such a practical matter of, it is. You know, of getting to know the people on your team and having them feel that you really care about them. Yes, absolutely. And the two things I would say that what you just said really inspired me. I hear from leaders a lot that one of the struggles they have is 
not even to make the safe space for people to try, but even just delegating the work, even just giving the work to someone. That mm. And it comes back to that time pressure of it's faster if I just take care of it. But a leader's number one responsibility, and I always say it's number one and number 1.1. Number one is to build and develop their team. Number 1.1 is to make sure the goals get delivered. And I think it's hard not to flip those around where leaders think, I have to make sure it gets over the line, so I'm just going to do it. You sacrifice all of that, getting to know the team, getting to figure out how do we build and grow people, and you you risk burning yourself out there as well. I. I think the other thing you're talking about that just totally speaks to me is that teams are like families and for better or worse, you know, you, you need to treat the experience in a similar way where you make the space for people to be who they are, but you also have that space for yourself. And that part, I think that can be tough on leaders. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think often there's this sense of, well, I don't have time for me. Yes, I've got so yeah. much to do. And especially if they have a family, just yeah. feeling pulled in many different directions, but oh, yeah. taking care of making time to take care of you and, you know, just asking the question. And you and I were talking about this earlier, you know, does what I'm doing now serve me mm-hmm. a long term? Yes. Yeah. And I think that when we want to start taking on things that we could be delegating to someone else. If we ask, yeah. should I be doing this? Yes. Well, doing yeah. it serve me in the long run. Is there a better use of my time than doing this? Then it's worth yes. investing the time in showing or teaching someone yeah. else how to do it. Even though it short-term takes time, yeah. over time it saves you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's a... It's a truth that in our space, like in the space of leadership and team development, there are so many programs today that focus on that element. It's a signal, I think, to us that it's not something we do naturally take care of ourselves or think about the fact that unless you are your best self, it's hard to flex into that mindset of even though this takes more time right now, it's better in the long term. And so the idea that you, in order to do these things for others, you have to take care of you first. Uh, that feels like a really important thread right now. Well, and it is. And part of it is because so many folks feel overwhelmed. Yes. In the last few years with COVID, oh. the work from home, manage everything at home. And there's just been this uh, multiplication, it feels like, of things to handle. And so mm-hmm. there's the danger of burnout. Oh, and gosh, yeah. when, when we're feeling that way, it's really hard to get clarity mm-hmm. on how to get out from it. Yes. And I think it's, it's sort of counterintuitive, but slowing down mm-hmm. is usually the answer. Yes. <laughs> and we feel like we have to keep speeding up yeah. slowing down long yeah. enough to ask a few important questions. Mm-hmm. About Am I being my best self here? I love that. You know, yeah. I think that's really a key, key piece. And in fact, I, w- I would love to move into um, these three pillars mm-hmm. that you have said are so foundational for strong, positive leaders, because I think they're very relevant to yeah. what we're talking about here. So share your thoughts, yeah. what you see as so critical for leaders. 
To me, the most important behavior a leader can engage in is listening. Yes. I know everybody knows you have two ears and one mouth, but we invert the frequency with which we use those parts of us. But leaders, I think, often carry the pressure on themselves that they should have the answers, that they should know what we're supposed to do. And I, I will fully own as a high achiever student type myself, I love knowing the answers. And so when people present problems, I know that sensation of wanting to shout, this is the way you should do that. But for great leaders, the best first step is to listen for 10 more seconds than you think you want to, to hold off on jumping into talk and really just give people around you a little more time and space to share. It is a fascinating experience. The, the couple of times that you do it at first, people will pause and that's usually when you, know, you would jump into talk. But if you let it go for just another moment, you will see people reflect, take a breath and continue and more incredibly valuable info comes out every time. And so that, that skill, as someone who has constantly got to practice it and is not great at it myself, I will say, I know it's challenging, but that number one skill to me is listening, listening to your people and, and starting from a question asking place, as opposed to a, a place of telling information. Uh-huh. I think connected to that, engaging and being present with your team so that you are able to respond when it is necessary to respond as quickly as you can do so. And I'll share at our organization, we are virtual first. And so we're essentially a remote organization. And I know you and I were talking before too, what happened during the pandemic was people's days got booked wall to wall with Zoom meetings. And I know everybody in the world was going through that same thing, but it shifted the way we needed our leaders to act to stay connected to their teams and to be able to respond and to provide support and help. And so I I don't have a great answer for exactly what that looks like right now. It's something we're working on here. I know so many organizations are, but in addition to listening, being available and present and like the open door concept to have leaders really be there for their teams. And then finally, giving feedback in real time in a way that helps people learn and grow, I think is a skill set that everyone benefits from. But for leaders, that's my third pillar. That positive leadership is really about making sure people know when they have done well and that you express gratitude and appreciation for good work. And that when people need to adjust, that we are crystal clear about that in as quick a moment of time as we can be. So it's connected to the experience in a meaningful and powerful way. Um, I think this is a challenge in every organization, including in higher ed, and it surprises me coming from there, but that feedback is often disconnected from the moment when it would have been most valuable. And then comes with extra, you know, yuckiness that goes with that experience for everybody involved. (laughs) So those three, yeah. Yeah. Those are excellent. I, I love all three of them. And The last one on feedback, I really like that you included both positive and constructive feedback and the timeliness of it really of both types of feedback are really important because if it is too far out in the distance, doesn't have near the meaning 
and people can forget what the situation was. Yes. So having it be timely is is so critical and and specific. Yes. So it doesn't come across as well as an attaboy or attaboy or gal without, (laughs) you know, without being attached to a specific behavior that either you want to see repeated or you want to see stopped. Yes. Yes. That willingness. And, you know, a lot of times, and it isn't just leaders, all of us who were not raised with, you know, really (laughs) having open, honest communication, because most parents don't get this kind of training. (laughs) Yeah, Um, we tend to overlook or postpone or procrastinate talking about it yeah. and hope it'll improve on its own, which yes. often does not. And no. then so much time builds up that we can be exploding over something because it was the last straw. Yes. And the person is left wondering, what? Yes. <laughs> Where does oh my gosh. Yeah. We, it, every org I've ever worked in, I've, I've always tried to include this mantra in the performance management process. And that is, the end of the year feedback should contain no surprises, right? Because the feedback should be given consistently throughout, connected to the moments in time, so that when you get to that last discussion, it's the culmination of all of those other exchanges. But to your point, 100% that is the truth for humans, I think, is that if it feels even a little uncomfortable, like we might upset someone else, or it might be scary to deliver it, it's hard to do it in the moment. One tip I always give leaders for that is it's okay to open that conversation with a question to ask the individual, how do you think that went? Let's talk about the pieces that worked and the pieces that could have been better. And to position it that way, it it takes a little of the edge off again. Like it gives it that Uh feeling as opposed to being, I am the leader who has to tell you all of these details. Yeah, that's an excellent approach because you really want to diffuse any potential defensiveness because yes. then the person can't even hear what you have to say. If they yeah. feel they're being attacked, they need to defend themselves. So yes, yeah. That's well, you know, when you mentioned performance reviews, it reminded me you got to really create your team. You were involved in, you know, designing their roles and hiring them. And we have many of my listeners who are either business owners, business leaders who are yeah. involved in, you know, recruiting folks for their team. So what did you learn from mm. your experience of designing the roles and then the yeah. interview and hiring process that helped you build a really great team? Yeah. Oh, that's a fun question. Uh, So first, let me say it was one of the really exciting parts to me about joining the Front Door family was that when I joined, the organization was just in that state of building some of these functions out. And so the first step was really like a a saturation or ingesting with the, the leaders who were here in the company. What are the critical needs what would the outputs of this team look like? What are the, the things that would have the biggest impact? What's the type of work? What would, that, what would that be? So if I'm saying, what did I learn? The first thing I would share is, I don't know if you could spend too much time doing that first step. And in a world where you got to move quickly, you know, we, we moved as rapidly as we could. But when I reflect on that, I, I think even maybe a little more time on that front is always a good thing to, to really look at 
What would the most impactful efforts look like? How would you measure and know those things are working? And then how can you design the specific skills you're looking for and the competencies that help you accomplish that work? Um, the other thing I, I, I think just in general about role design and, and when you're looking for talent is, and I learned this lesson over and over as I progressed through my career, there are always ways to help build the tactical skills that you need for most roles in an organization. The piece that matters so much more is that broader competency set. And for me, in, in my area in particular, people who have a spirit of curiosity, uh, a desire to learn as we are figuring out how to help the organization learn. And I, this word gets thrown around so much everywhere, it's getting to be too buzzy, but people who have an agility, like a, a resilience about them, who are able to work in gray space with some amount of comfort and figure out what the best tactics to go forward are coming mm -hmm those, what are our big go-gets? What's the vision? What, what are the things we're trying to do in the organization? And so, yeah, for me, designing roles is such a fun, but very abstract process. And when I reflect on the work here, I have an incredible team. I am very, very happy to work where I do and with the humans that I work with. I think those competencies have been the defining characteristics. No, I, I, agree with you so much about what's most important because you're right you can teach yes practical you know yeah. the how-tos but that sense and and what I was uh imagining was you know words like flexibility yeah um, and being able to tolerate ambiguity Yes. Yeah. You were saying that gray area, I thought, yeah. yeah, those of us that tend to like to get our ducks in a row, yes. <laughs> you know, but still have to be willing to, to recognize we may have to shift here. Yes. You yeah. know, things change. We may oh. have to change our plan. And if somebody is reluctant or resistant to yes. that, that really yeah. slows down the whole process of getting the work done. It does. And I think about, you know, in the current state of the way work happens, the New York Times has had an article two weekends ago, I think that was called The Leader of Team Nowhere. I'm probably misquoting that title. But the idea of the article was in today's workforce reality, job descriptions are really amorphous. Like they're very general. And that's because organizations are so dynamic and things change so rapidly that what we think we need today might look a little different even six months from now. And you think about the way jobs used to be designed where we could create a task list that would stay relatively stable for an extended period of time. It's just not the way organizations, I think, are, are designing roles today. Or to that point, career pathing. When you think about how career pathing works, I don't think it's ever a ladder anymore. It's more like the lattice. And I increasingly say it's more like just a journey we are on together and you get to co-create it with us because it's just not that traditional layout anymore. Mm -hmm. That's such a great way. Lattice versus ladder. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I think that's really true, especially of uh, 
many of the younger workers coming in, they, they're going yes. to see where are the yeah. opportunities to grow, not necessarily advance to a higher promotion, yes. but grow and move into challenging work. That's yes. also very satisfying. Absolutely. We have this conversation frequently. We often talk with people about what are the skills? What are you great at? What do you love doing? Or where do you find purpose? And what do we need? And how do we figure out how to fit those pieces together? Because it's uh, in a fast-paced environment where you know, you're flying the plane as you build the plane, you need to think just, I think, one step back from where we're usually thinking about those tactical details. Yeah, and I just think that's such a fabulous approach to really ensure the success of the company long-term because you're Mm -hmm. building loyalty in as people feel that what they say and express about what's important to them actually is acted upon. Yes, They're put in a role where they get to use those skills their level of happiness and and commitment just skyrockets. And it does. it's hard to put a price on that. You know, yeah. the cost of a turnover is way more than just replacing that. Yes. Well, Laura, the time has just kind of... <laughs> I know. I want to wrap up with a question that is for you personally. What do you feel are some of the areas you've seen your own self grow since, you know, even during, you know, your time in academia, your graduate program where you, you know, got your doctorate, your um, work at the university level, and then in corporate and what you've been doing since joining corporate, what are some of the areas that you would say, I've really grown a lot there? Yeah, I love this. I would do this for the next six hours with you, Meredith, but the time really has flown by. For me, I'm going to go back to that imposter versus inquirer concept for a second, because the thing I continue to notice in myself is every step in my journey, I feel like I build my courage. And the way that looks and feels for me is the the sense of trust that, first of all, it's okay to not know an answer and to ask questions as the starting point. But secondly, that that I can trust my instincts and that I see where experiences can serve me, what I have learned and taken from those things. I, I would say also, I feel like I am always a work in progress. And so that continuous appetite to learn, it has never quieted down. I feel like an avid consumer of information about everything going on in our space. I am excited all the time by the possibilities to create and shape and and do work with leaders who are interested in growing. But it's funny because thinking about both the fact that I I find myself to have built that sense of courage and I I get more comfortable just living in that state of inquiry and that that is a, a good and comfortable place to be. I also feel like I will never stop on that journey. Like there's always more to learn always more to, to grow into. Yeah. Could, could I ask you that same question back? Oh, well, it's so funny because I was just thinking, uh, because I'm, I'm decades older than you. (laughs) I'm still in that space of love to learn 
you yeah. never do get to the end of it. In fact, I think the older that we get, the mm-hmm. more we realize yes. what there is to learn. And I love yeah. your um, your pointing to being an inquirer because that is a key piece for me is mm-hmm. curious. Yeah. And I think over the years, I've also learned a lot about what does it really mean to be of service to others? Yes. And 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 approaching conversations and yeah. relationships from the perspective of how can I be of help to this person? And yes. how can I be loving towards this yeah. person? Because, you know, yes. we don't talk about that four-letter word that often. <laughs> in the workplace. Yes. And yet it's so important because I think yeah. the best leaders truly do love yeah. their people. They care deeply about them as human beings as yes. well as about their success on the job. So yes. those for me, I just think over the years have become more and more clear to me how important those are. That resonates so deeply with me. And I just want to add quickly, I I work on this often. It's an exercise I put people through in leadership development workshops sometimes. What is your mission statement as a human? And the thing I come back to for myself over and over is just two words to help. It's the the clearest way I can describe the thing that I feel called to do in the world. And that the way you just described it, positioning experiences from that, how can I make this experience better for the other person? It fuels your own fire when you Uh you approach life that way. I just, I love that to use that four letter word one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so funny. I wasn't thinking of my own personal mission statement when I said what I just did, but my personal statement is my purpose is to serve and love profoundly. So others appreciate their own value and maximize it. Each one of those words was chosen for a particular purpose in terms of my own emotions associated with that statement. So it isn't just words. It has, each one has some, a deep meaning for me. So I love it. That is so inspiring. That's great. (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, Laura, you've been inspiring. I've loved our conversation. I so admire what you've done and the courage you've shown in your journey. I think that courage is well-earned as well as your confidence. And I I just think it's great that you have arrived at this um, place where inquiring is a natural part of who you are and what you do and how you be in the world, because that comes across to others and gives them the ability to be open, honest, and, and not feel threatened. In other words, feel safe. And so I think that's the kind of work environment that's so critical today. So thank you for the part you're playing in that happen at Front Door. Thank you for being with me today. Oh, thank you so much. This has been just a sheer and utter delight. Uh, And I'm so honored to get to spend some time with you, Meredith. This has been so fun. Well, I would love for you to share how can people connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing at Front Door? Yeah, if people are interested in reaching out, I am on LinkedIn uh, and I'm always happy to connect. And so don't hesitate to hit me up if I can help in any way. Great. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I so appreciate your being with me today. And I know you're going to continue doing great things in, in your work there. Thanks, Meredith. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.